Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there. We wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to thank you for listening. We really, really love getting to do this show and your support, whether it's by subscribing, leaving us a review, or supporting our advertisers is what makes it possible. We are ridiculously grateful. And I'm sorry that I'm going to do a whole like people are asking influencer energy thing here, but sometimes people do in fact ask us if there are other ways that they can support us. And the answer is yes. Our secret menu membership program is a once weekly members only newsletter that costs four bucks a month and your first month's fee goes straight to charity. We cover all sorts of topics. We're talking shopping, gifting, food, entertainment, even advice, and of course, snacks. You can sign up for it all at a thing or two hq.com to start receiving it. And you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed. And if you've made it this far without subscribing to our free Monday newsletter, well, what are you doing? Go ahead and rectify that also at a thing or two hq.com. If all of that sounds like too much effort, we get it. Maybe just take 15 seconds to go smash some stars for us in the rating section of Apple Podcasts. That helps a ton, truly. Thank you. Now on to the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to athingortwohq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at athingortwohq. And as a reminder, we offer free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at athingortwohq.com if that's of interest to you. Hi. Hi. We've got some meaty content today, Claire, or some meat-free content. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Something meaty. Something meaty. So the subject of today's podcast, eating Mm -hmm. less meat and drinking less booze. Mm -hmm. And like between the two of us, we're each doing some of this. A little bit. Part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Should we start by talking about what's happening with meat these days? Let's do it. So... The, basically, my question is, has, has meat jumped the shark? Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which I, it's interesting because, you know, some people who've been vegetarians their entire lives would say, 
relate to this, you know? Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. I just mean mm-hmm. like broadly, culturally, mm-hmm. like whatever. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is rooted in some like yeah. actual things that are happening in the world and then anecdotal like mm-hmm. experiences yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like people probably, the sort of like newsy items here, right? Epicurious is not publishing any new recipes with beef. And they had been actually not posting recipes with beef for like a year, um, mm-hmm. but just like shared this Didn't information. Say about it. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, P.S., like people still come into our website and using our recipes. So like calm down, which is interesting. And then 11 Madison Park, which is a very schmancy restaurant, is coming back as 100% vegan, um, which is obviously just like a sign of where, you know, like... Mm-hmm fine dining, white tablecloth, like restaurants, like Michelin starred restaurants are potentially going. I'm so curious about the 11 Madison Park thing because it's still like 350 bucks a meal, like a purse per person or something like that because it's a fixed price menu. Well, cashews are expensive. (laughs) You are telling me, girl. Um, (laughs) And like part of the news coverage of this was that like people had tried this before, like other fine dining establishments had tried it and gone back. And I am so curious because it does feel like the movement towards meatlessness and veganism tends to be driven by like a younger demographic. And yet- That's not spending $350 on a prefix Yeah, and that like, you know, I think there's definitely a young hip crowd going to 11 Madison Park, but they also must rely upon a more, uh, like an older, more traditional crowd who expects a meat (laughs) option on their menu. And I'm like, I- I'm so curious if my parents would do this. Would yeah, go. totally, totally, totally. Well, Claire, I would have been, you know, I feel, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what was interesting to me is, is this like, in this moment is that my brother who is a very conscious meat eater and like only like, cert- like definitely is committed to only consuming meat sourced in certain ways, but like mm-hmm. is definitely a meat eater has mm-hmm. been mostly vegan most of this year so far. Mm-hmm. And I would have never guessed that that's yeah. a direction that he would have gone. Well, I also thought it was interesting, like speaking of veganism, that 11 Madison Park chose to go vegan versus just meat free. And like the commentary tent, I mean, listen, I like raising cattle in general and, and yes, the ruminants you know, in general, like, yes. And, like, it, and it, it seems to be like, it's all climate oriented, at least right. in terms of the way we that they're talking that about over. it. Yes. 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 Both <laughs> yes. 11 Madison Park and Epicurious have made statements that this is a, a decision that they've made with the climate in mind. Yes. But 11 Madison Park could have just been like, we're cutting out meat completely. Right. And like that, that is our uh, statement on on climate, um, but they fully went vegan, which is it's so challenging for them, you know, just to execute on and totally like quite a yeah quite a jump. But I also feel like it becomes it becomes like an interesting creative project then too to be able to yeah. be like okay how do we make creamy things and like how do we like mimic some of the textures expensive flavors? cashews. That's the answer. Expensive cashews. Definitely the answer. 100% the answer. I could not have done Whole30 without the cashews. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then just speaking of sort of like more mainstream things, like you obviously can't throw, you can't like walk into a fast food or chain restaurant at this point without an impossible burger being on the menu or beyond like sausage patty Mm -hmm. or like whatever. And Taco Bell just recently introduced a Cravitarian taco, which is a, which has a plant-based protein made from a blend of peas and chickpeas at one of their locations in California. Um, I love that they introduce something at one location. Like what? (laughs) Oh, and already. And what is it about this one location that gives them the sense that they'll be able to figure out anything based on this location in Tustin, California? 
Claire, don't worry. There are already like various reviews of people being like, I tried the Cravitarian <laughs> taco at the Tuns at the Tustin, California like location. Great, great work, guys. Way to get press, Taco Bell. But like between this and like Del Taco also and Qdoba, like mm-hmm. are all moving, you know, in this direction. So it's not just about like a patty that can be put on a burger anymore. Right. Like there's right. yeah, like an actual, there's an actual shift to using these meat alts in a broader way. So in consuming this news, I was thinking about my own meat consumption habits mm-hmm. and like where they have been and where they are um, and like just how I think about this. And I don't know, it's like always like a shift in a moving target. But like basically I am a very sort of like, I don't know, like meat light eater. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's the, what is the term that your friend- um, Oh, meat aware. Yeah, meat aware. Gluten your aware. friend Eliza. <laughs> Eliza says she's not gluten-free, she's gluten-aware, which is an incredibly useful term. (laughs) Extremely useful. I am meat-aware. I'm Mm -hmm. super Mm meat-aware. You know, I eat it, not at my, I don't don't cook meat at home. That has like been the rule at my house for, I think like the last, certainly the whole time we lived at our last apartment. So like seven or eight years, Mm -hmm. which has just been like, for me personally, I find it to be helpful to have to be able to like set the tone of like, okay, this means that I'm cutting out meat like 80% of the time if I'm not Mm -hmm. making it at home. Like it just makes it easy. And it also means that like, God, I get to experience the joy of not having to clean up animal fat at my house. Mm -hmm. Like that, that is like a huge perk for me. And I just in general then like treat meat more as a treat. Right. Yeah, which like I just like- you don't, you have like strictly cut out chicken for a really long time because in part because you don't like it. And I strictly cut out chicken for a really, I haven't had chicken or like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've had it like in something or whatever mm-hmm. that I didn't know, but like yeah. I haven't uh, willingly, <laughs> purposefully eaten chicken yeah. in like at least a decade, partially because I don't like it, partially because the like animal mm-hmm. raising farming aspects of chicken are just like hard for me mm-hmm. to like deal with. And like everybody has different like feelings about all of these things. Um, And I think I've just started to get more comfortable accepting like what mine are Mm -hmm. and owning those things and not like feeling bad about it. Yeah. Because I think that there is, that there can be just like this tendency for you to feel like you have to like explain yourself or validate it to people. um, And that like their opinion about it somehow matters um, Mm -hmm. when (laughs) it absolutely doesn't. Yeah. For a while when I was not eating when I was really like not eating meat um, and would have told you that I was like pescatarian, I made the exception for him own. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was like, so let me get this straight. You don't eat meat, but you eat this very porky cured meat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, because I love it. Because mm-hmm. like, this is the thing that like, I find to be deeply satisfying. And right. guess what? I'm allowed to. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can make, you can make the own rule, your own it's, rules. It's my rule. Like, yeah. And it actually doesn't affect your life at all right if, like well I, I think the yeah. office yeah I think yeah. and I think people react that way because they feel some sort of like because people do feel the pressure that you described to justify their own decisions or habits or judgments totally. about what they're going to eat and what they're not going to eat um, totally I mean I think yeah I, it's interesting I mean in general like I think the big shift is like for a long time and certainly while we were growing up if you met someone who was vegetarian it was because you would assume and you were like probably right if you were assuming that they were making that choice because of their feeling about the treatment of animals. Yes. And then 
we had the shift where that group expanded to include people who are making the choice because of health decisions. And yes. now you're seeing it really expand. And like factory farm, like the, like, I feel like there was like, there were the animal cruelty, just like straight mm-hmm. up like animal yeah. cruelty people. Mm-hmm. And then there was like the health decisions and like factory farming in this country, which is like related to animal cruelty, but also sort of like broader just than a, a, that. A problematic industry. Like the Michael Pollan, yeah. like Food Inc., like that kind of like audience. Yeah. yeah. And now you are seeing people make the decision because of climate. And I think there's just this helplessness that so many people feel in the face of like, there's so little that I as an individual can do. We're so reliant upon like big corporations and governments to actually be the ones to stop this. And one of the bigger things that that a person can do is to to change their eating habits and to cut out meat. Exactly. And like, yeah, it's, you know, the environmental costs um, specifically of beef. It's one of the worst climate offenders. I mean, it just is. Um, and if if like cutting that out doesn't feel, it feels like something that you can manageably do, even if it's just like, I don't eat meat on like whatever, meatless Mondays thing mm-hmm. or like whatever, or vegan right. before six or like all of these different approaches. I mean, I think it's helpful for me to be, to, when I eat meat, to think about like meat as a condiment mm-hmm. and like basically the like Szechuan sauteed string bean approach where right. it's like, well, yeah, there's pork in this. It tastes like pork for sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you're like, not that's eating not pork the main chop. ingredient. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I always anyway. think of like all those delicious Thai salads with basically like shreds of beef jerky tossed throughout them. Oh yeah, of course. The ultimate meat as a condiment moment. Ultimate, in ultimate, my, in my ultimate. opinion. <laughs> yeah. And there are also other companies that are doing interesting things around making beef that is more environmentally conscious and like environmentally friendly. There's one called Buttermeat Co. in New York State, um, which is a company started by dairy farmers who realize the importance of delicious beef that happens to be environmentally friendly and they use they use dairy cows basically for their beef. Um, mm-hmm. So they're not cows that are just raised totally for beef, which is super interesting. And I think another thing that we like touched on earlier that makes it easier and is certainly hardly essential, like God, it's not like you need like a meat substitute. You can just eat other things. But the like meat substitutes have gotten better, you know? Yeah. Like it no, just they definitely like, have. That makes a really big difference. And like mm-hmm. the impossible meat is super good. Yeah. Yeah. It's do delicious. you cook with impossible? I do. Although I keep like seeing the pa- like a package of it in my freezer that I'm like, why do I never pull this out? I think during the summer we like cook with it a lot you more because we make burgers. I don't cook it with meat at home that often for myriad reasons. Like one of which is I tend to just want to or towards like healthier proteins or like less fatty proteins when I cook at home. And two, I just don't feel that confident cooking with meat. Hmm. So I think we tend to eat more meat in the summer when we have people over and we're grilling and stuff like that. And that's when the Impossible Burger does often come out. We've been making a lot of stovetop Impossible Burgers, mixing them with the delicious, wonderful Amsam sauces Mm -hmm. and doing... The lemongrass one's super good, but then also the seasig one and like chopping up shallots and mixing mm-hmm. that in and yeah. like marinating it during the day. And every time we do it, we have to have the conversation at the dinner table that's like, it really is so good. It really is as good <laughs> as any other burger. Like every time. I do think that they're so delicious. Boring. But I also just drench burgers in so much stuff like ketchup and mayo and lettuce oh, and tomato yeah. and all the stuff that like I wouldn't even know if it was bad if it didn't taste good. Well, yeah, and you get like the same crispy like yeah, same. you know you get the same crispy textural experience mm-hmm. and I was I was like trying to get my dad on this train 
recently and sent him like step-by-step photos of the impossible burgers coming together where they mm-hmm. really just do look like ground beef. Like for yeah. me, that's not like, I don't, whatever, I don't care. It's not like a sell for me, but for someone who does genuinely want to be tricked by, <laughs> by yeah. this product, like it does, it like has that experience for sure. The other thing I use impossible in is, you know, that Helen Rosner soup, the Roberto that's yes, like I do. extremely, it's like uh, a, it's like a tomato sausage kale soup, right? Sort that's of. exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, internet famous tomato sausage mm-hmm. kale soup. Yep. And the other thing, like speaking of tacos that I want to do is I've been craving like that ground beef taco mm-hmm. situ- like vibe. And we got some Spice Walla seasonings from Goldoon. And there's an El Pastor one that I want to do with like a hard shell taco. Our friend Leia has been mm-hmm. making hard shell tacos for a while. And that just sounds yep. like... Delicious, delicious with shredded lettuce and that yeah. does sound great yeah and we both also love that trader joyce uh soy riso that's delicious it's, it's just so per- well seasoned it's it's so wonderful. well seasoned it's just extremely yes. well seasoned and it's just like it's great in tacos it's great with eggs there's this pasta with trees and chickpeas that i'll link to that i like it in yeah, it's just like so good and all of the things and like honestly just like also does last in your fridge for a really long time, which yep. is like a nice thing. And then the other product, Thomas, for like, again, like, I don't know, eight or nine years, I guess. Um, he all like always makes a sandwich for lunch, almost mm-hmm. always, especially if he was like going to work and taking a sandwich with him. And he likes bologna um, or is like cool with bologna mm-hmm. and was like, this is pro- like bologna is like the most processed, like fakey fake thing right. there is. So like, why am I just not eating this like veggie bologna? So it must be easy to approximate it with fake things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. someone surely can fake this. He likes the Light Life Smart Deli bologna um, and has tried a bunch of them like very oh, you know, good. Like the He's tofurky. done the research. Yeah. Some of them are really gross. Like okay. some of them are like impressively bad. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the bologna thing is sort of a trick because they're not trying to approximate the flavor of turkey or something else you know not to not to bring this back to actually eating meat but have you ever had lebanon bologna no it is so good it is like an incredible bologna and it comes from lebanon pennsylvania from the um the mennonites there and i was recently researching it to try to figure out like if more people know about it and why it's so good. And the only thing I figured out is that instead of dropping a ball on New Year's Eve in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, they drop a giant bologna every year on New Year's (laughs) Eve in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Uh, I Um, mean, Claire, like to bring this back to real meat for a second, like I bought really nice, really nice mortadella recently Mm -hmm. at like after watching Stanley Tucci show being mm, like, mm, mm-hmm. God, that just sounds yeah. really good. And we had, you know, mortadella sandwiches for a couple of days and it was a real treat. But like, yeah. again, it was a treat. And like, I appreciated that mortadella so much. And if I had it all the time, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it would have the, same, <laughs> the same magical impact. Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. Um, We've been partnering with Nutrafol for a really long time now, and we are so proud to. I have had a really wonderful experience with them. After pregnancy and when I stopped breastfeeding, I did experience hair loss. And the most frustrating thing about it was not like thin hair because I'm very lucky to have 
thick hair. So it's like fine. That part was You have fine. more hair than you need. Yeah, you I have more than anyone. I need. <laughs> so I, did, I didn't think this was actually going to be a problem for me. Like I knew that people lost their hair, but I was like, whatever, I'll be fine. I got plenty to spare. But I got all those annoying baby hairs. Like it, just the flyaways, they were driving me insane. And Nutrafol did help me grow them out and get my hair back in its normal shape so much quicker than... I, it, it would have otherwise. And it's like not an overnight process. You have to take it every day. I think it took about like three months for me really to be like, whoa, that that really happened. But it's a good product and it works. And you know whether or not this is like a postpartum need for you or just like a thing in your life, because so many women experience hair loss, Nutrafol is really wonderful for, for getting your hair back in, in fighting shape. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by supporting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. It is made of natural, clinically effective, medical-grade botanicals for better hair growth through whole body health, and it's physician-formulated to be 100% drug-free. On top of thicker, stronger hair without lasers or chemicals, Nutrafol's ingredients may even help you get a handle on better sleep, stress, skin, nails, and libido. When you subscribe, you'll receive monthly deliveries so you'll never miss a dose. 77% of women saw improvements in just 90 days. Even if you aren't experiencing thinning hair, Nutrafol can help you grow thicker, stronger hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code a thing or two to save 20% off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's available to US customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code a thing or two. Thank you so much to supporting the advertisers who support our show. What's up, well-beings? I'm Kelly Noonan-Gorris, and this is The Heal Podcast. Every Thursday, I interview the leading experts in health and healing, as well as real people with extraordinary healing stories. Whether you want to heal a physical diagnosis, a mental health issue, a past trauma, or heal our planet, The Heal Podcast is for you. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answers you've been searching for. You can follow us on Instagram at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gores and catch episode clips on Heal Documentary's YouTube channel. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday anywhere podcasts are found. I read an essay, I think it was an eater the other day that was by a woman who, I don't know, I can't remember if she'd gone vegetarian or gone vegan, but she attributed a lot of her, she attributed a lot of her contentment with the vegetarian meals Mm. she'd been making at home to the addition of MSG and just like keeping a little MSG salt shaker around. And, you know, and of course it also talked about our sort of like racist vilification of MSG over the years. And she's like, this is actually like great. And when I'm craving that umami flavor, this is like what makes so many of these dishes, these vegetable dishes satisfying. And inspired by that, I bought some and I've got to say, she's absolutely right. Like it really just kicks things up in a way that really, um, like it just makes them more satisfying um, when they're in what way? That like what's umami. the, yeah, there's like a little what is it bit adding? more, it's adding a sort of like, I would say it's like similar to fish sauce in that way yeah. where it's like both salty and umami at once. And so it's got that a sort of like, depth of flavor that some that I think soy sauce doesn't have. Like I'm always underwhelmed by soy sauce as a flavoring ingredient. And I feel I like think it that's always fair. needs something. And I think that something is often for me, like something like fish sauce or fish yeah. sauce salt from Red Boat or this MSG, I think has been serving the same purpose. Something with like a little bit more funk. Yeah. And um, just like depth. Like a kick, yeah, 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 a yeah, yeah, kick, yeah, 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 yeah
tang. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I'm all these words I'm using to describe umami. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. I have, I keep meaning to tell you that I got the tamari from Momofuku. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, I mean, it might not, it might still be like, you know, yeah. on the edge of this, but I do think it's like a richer, like better, like more, like a fuller tamari right. than what That's I was otherwise buying at the grocery store. Okay. Good to so, know. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. The other thing that that is definitely happening and is like trending downwards is alcohol consumption. And there's just like, there's been so many conversations in general about like choosing sobriety as a lifestyle and not just as a form of recovery from alcoholism. And I feel like you've had all these celebrities sort of like most notably Chrissy Teigen came out recently and was just like, didn't say identify as like, I'm an alcoholic, but just said like, I didn't like the role that alcohol was playing in my life. And so I've decided to stop drinking. And she name checked this book, Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol, um, which like all then immediately became unavailable everywhere because that's right. Because <laughs> Jen Atkin was also talking about it and everybody was talking about it. And it's written by this woman, Holly Whitaker. Um, and she also has this recovery program, this company called Tempest that's like a sort of alt to AA. And her book is obviously really specific to women and alcohol and, and talks a lot about that. But I think it pushes this or it, it like presents this narrative around like you just don't have to drink and quitting drinking doesn't have to be a choice because you've identified as an alcoholic. It could just be because alcohol is not serving you in a, in a productive way. Um, yeah. I have, for, I, I can't remember, I like did some diving into this book at some point and I did read like basically that like it is like a very helpful and smart and useful book and that it does come from a place of like, you know, very particular like privilege and approach to like what oh, you're yeah. doing instead of alcohol or like how you're like addressing your life, which, you know, it's maybe not like serving a, a broad community. Yeah. And I also just like, I was going to get into this more later, but like she really is approaching this from a gendered perspective that I think is like worthwhile to explore. And there are so many numbers about, so many reports on like the increasing number of women who are binge drinking and particularly over the last year during the pandemic, like women in particular have increased their alcohol consumption and their binge drinking. The effects of alcohol are so much greater on women than they are on men. Like take weight out of it, take like, you know, all that out of it. It's just like our just bodies like body processing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I well, just and like there is totally something to the idea that AA was created for men and like it is a very ego focused approach. So um, that's that's like kind of her big platform and yeah. why she launched Tempest, which is just that, yeah, that AA is like a sort of like patriarchal approach to sobriety and it's designed to address issues of masculinity and ego that just aren't as relevant to the issues that, that a lot of women alcoholics suffer and that they're like that and there's this sort of like generalization that the forces that are driving men to drink are largely different than the forces that are driving women to drink and there's like so much to parse here obviously and there's also like this entire conversation too that i think is worthwhile about all of this media directed at women that normalizes frequent alcohol consumption like the whole like mommy needs a glass of wine and like there's a wine brand called mommy's timeout and rosé all day and like there's been all of this Mommy juice. Mommy juice. Exactly. Like there's just yeah. all of this media and sort of like lifestyle content directed at women that's really all about like just there's drinking. just alcohol marketing. Yeah, there's just, alcohol, just marketing. alcohol marketing. But a lot yeah. of the times, even when it's not actually marketing alcohol, like it's just yeah, marketing yeah, 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 a t-shirt yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, marketing right, right, right. lifestyle. 
And I think a lot of that is also like in reaction to like, it's like framing women consuming alcohol as like a liberating thing that this is like a women's liberation movement for women to drink a lot like men. And so now these sobriety movements like this Holly Whitaker are like reacting against that and saying like, let's stop letting like bro-y culture push alcohol and push binge drinking and like, and I think that's all really useful. I just think it's reductive to point to alcohol as the problem rather than the symptom in a lot of these. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah. I, it, yeah. Like it, it's useful to have the conversation, but I, I don't like the path. Like I don't like where it, like the conversations that it necessarily leads to that like drinking is the problem and that toxic masculinity is not the, <laughs> you know, that like- 100%. When it's like, our perceptions of masculinity are the problem when you like peel away all the layers. But I do, I do think all everything you're saying about just like sober, curious, and like mm-hmm. not, it's like me more than that. Just like people who are like, I want to drink less. Like I right. want to drink less. I, it, there is like this whole. There do tend to be a lot of, you know, it, I think there's a lot of it in the wellness movement in particular, where which like, and the wellness movement is notorious for being like deny yourself this and that and gluten <laughs> and sugar and alcohol. So like, of course, that's yeah. a, a locus It'd of it. It'd be weird not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is in general a sort of trend towards less drinking. So uh, from a courts report, there, 57% of the global population reports they haven't had a drink in 12 months. And in 2019 uh, poll, 40% of Americans said they were drinking less than they were five years prior. And the alcohol market has just contracted while the market for these like non-alcoholic beverages grew by 30% in the US in 2020. So like it you're just seeing it reflected in in the business world. And there is like you said like now all of these sort of in-betweens are like these things that are like somewhere on the spectrum between sober and not sober. So like sober curious and mindful drinking which I learned like both I think fall under the category of the temperance movement, which is just like about tempering your alcohol intake. So it's like people who aren't giving up alcohol completely, but who are consciously cutting back or like are giving it up completely, but aren't doing it as a, like as a, I guess as a reaction to uh, alcoholism. Um, Just like- Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I wouldn't necessarily qualify diagnostically as an alcoholic. Yeah, I think that's right. And I like- I don't even think I would call myself sober curious or like a mindful drinker. Maybe I would call myself a mindful drinker. An intuitive um, drinker, would you say? Mm, definitely not. <laughs> I don't think I'm intuitive anything. I would love to be intuitive anything, Erica. <laughs> Requires so much more like mindfulness and presence than I'm ever able to muster. I mean, I'm super, I'm super on board with even just you being like, I drink less. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I that, like mostly don't drink. So thank you. This is actually where I, where I was hoping to come to with this. So, okay. I, I just don't drink a ton. I've never like been a big drinker because like when I was younger, I just never enjoyed it that much. And I think for a long time, that was because I was on antidepressants and it just like was... Didn't gel. Didn't gel. So I was always just like, well, I'm tired and like, this isn't fun. (laughs) I'm extra tired now. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, And then there have been times in my life where I've like drank a lot more regularly and really enjoyed it, um, but have never felt like I had like a necessarily unhealthy relationship with alcohol. But more recently just became a lot more aware of the fact that even one drink makes me feel sluggish the next day. And God, I hate feeling tired. And so I've just been trying to be more conscious of not having a drink just because and like doing it because it's like, no, I I can afford to be a little tired tomorrow or like I just really want it right now or it's going to serve me in some way. 
which is, I think, generally how I've always been, but like more so these days. Well, um, I think you're just like thinking about it more maybe than you were that. I don't know. Is that yeah, fair to say? Yeah, probably. Or just I, like I think more conscious of it now. Than it's you more were conscious then. because, and like honestly, because I discovered beer after having Cam. Like, not like I discovered beer, but I discovered how much I enjoy beer ha- after having Cam. So yeah. I did drink a lot more in the last two years. So th- this time when I'm cutting back, it's like an actual departure. Whereas before it was always just like, I just don't drink that much. So now I have had to sort of like stop myself and be like, I'm not going to have a beer tonight. Yeah. And you were typically just like having a beer with dinner and then feeling kind of like, Bleh. Yeah, for the last couple of years. I mean, at the beginning yeah. of quarantine, it was like... M- Listen, going like, bottles of mezcal weekly. <laughs> listen, when you were talking about like stats about drinking and I was like, yeah, yeah like 2019. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I do really want to see the numbers for yeah. at, at least 2020 and then where 2021 yeah. goes yeah. Um, as a result. And if, if like people's increases in 2020 will be tempered by them like realizing like, actually I kind I want to manage this or be more thoughtful about yeah, it totally. um, coming out of quarantine or whatever too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think quarantine led people to extremes on one end of the spectrum or the other in like all areas of life. That's right. (laughs) That's Um, right. You were either like going, people either going for like five mile runs every day because they're like, this is the answer to the question or just like sitting at a desk and not moving and being like, I don't understand why my back hurts. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I think like the, the parts of all of these conversations around sobriety that have really resonated with me and the things that the thing, like the one theme that comes up a lot in the conversations around women and sobriety is how normalized it is to be a part of almost every single social engagement. Like, yeah, it just, and and even non-social engagement, which is like everything you do, somehow there is a drink to attend it and that it's just so expected. And that if we can sort of break that model a bit, then like behavior shifts can follow. And for me, it's less about, I mean, I'm less like compulsive or impulsive about it where I'm like, well, I'm at a bar, so I must have a drink. But I do always feel like I have to explain it. And a lot of the time I do. You know, somebody will ask you and there are just so few answers that people willingly accept. And it's sobriety because you You have you have a problem. Pregnancy, driving. And it's like maybe antibiotics, maybe you're on a cleanse. Like there are like a few fringe explanations. <laughs> <laughs> or you like had a bad headache earlier. Right, sometimes that'll, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do feel like I always have to provide an, like this apologetic explanation or like over explain yeah. myself or just be like, I'm not pregnant, I swear. And especially as someone with a two-year-old where everybody's like, oh, is she going to have another? And like, even now I have a dinner coming up where I'm like, I'm kind of dreading it because it's like friends that I'm not that close with where like they don't really, they're not really familiar with my drinking habits. And I do feel like we're going to have, I'm going to have to be like, I'm not pregnant. Like I'm like, and I hate that I'm just going to And like, to, no, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, it's just going to have to be discussed at all. And it's always awkward to have the attention on you for that reason. Yes. And it does make me just also so grateful for my friends who know me and get it or just like accepting of it who are just like, don't question it at all. Because I don't know, I just, I don't, I don't know why it makes me so uncomfortable to always have to explain it. I think it's because oh, I feel I like I have to apologize. I know, but you know, so few things make me uncomfortable. And I'm like always happy yeah. to talk about these things. But yeah. I, well, I mean, I I think because it feels like this weird peer pressure that I think like that we actually, you know, 
I, I feel like I don't experience in that many facets of my life mm-hmm. anymore or that like, you know, we've either aged out of or phased out of purposefully yep. um, where I don't feel like I have friendships where I'm like, where people are being like, no, do this thing, do yep. this thing. Right. Um, well, that's it too is like, I do think people sometimes perceive it as you being less fun or you like, or it's like, it's going to hurt oh, yeah. them because you're not going to have as much fun or they're going to feel like they can't get as drunk. And so you're like a downer for them by making that choice. A hundred percent. I didn't drink the first couple of years of college um, and like partially driven by the fact that largely driven by the fact that there's alcoholism in my family. And I learned that at a very like maybe traumatically young age Mm -hmm. Um, and alongside that under learned the the genetic predispositions to alcoholism. And so it like really freaked me out. But then I think like once I expressed not drinking and saw the way that certain people responded to it and how poorly they responded to it, it made me like dig in my heels a little bit. Yeah. Because it it did just feel like this like, you don't get to decide if I'm like fun based right. on this or right. like, or like, you know, a potential like date or whatever, where it was like, oh, you think that like, we are only going to make out if I'm drunk. Right. Like that's a problem. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> No, totally. I also just, I had a friend give me a hard time about it recently. And I remember just thinking, this is so odd because if I were actually sober, if I were an alcoholic, you would be so supportive of the choice. You would be like, you would not question it. You would pat me on the back. But because I don't have this Because you're just not drinking. (laughs) You're like, fine, I guess. And like upset about it. Which like, why does it have to be that you have to be have suffering from this condition in order to be able to not drink. It's crazy. And I, it's just an odd thing. And I do think like what I articulated about like people giving you a hard time that it's like somehow worse for them if you're not going to drink is something that makes it harder for people sometimes to quit alcohol. Like, you know, it, because people have this sense of like, for oh, sure. I'm not going to be as fun or like I'm going to disappoint my friends if I stop drinking or something like that. Well, and I think the other part of it, Claire, is that people feel like it's like some moral judgment on them, right? Yeah. Like in the yeah. same way of like the eating of the meat, meat thing. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like you're not doing this. So you must think like I'm like bad or irresponsible or whatever right. if I do these things. And it's like, no, I'm actually not thinking about you at all in my decisions. Right. I'm just like making my own decision and you should do the same. <laughs> and it just, it's also just one of these things where like people have so many reasons for not drinking that are like, yes, so many of the private or touchy. Like some women aren't not drinking because they're pregnant. They're not drinking because they're trying to get pregnant and they're yeah. str- maybe struggling with it. Like there's just so many reasons, right? And we'd just all be well served to not make people feel like they need to answer for it, that it is somehow like, only the norm to be drinking and therefore must be addressed if you're not drinking. And I also just like reiterating what I'm saying this whole time, like you can be someone who drinks and also not have a drink. Like, you know what I mean? It's so easy to say, I don't drink and people will accept that. But like for some reason, if you are uh, someone who drinks, but you're just choosing not to have one, it's always a conversation. Yeah. I've gotten to the place because of where I thought like my drinking was in 2020 of being like, I don't drink a few nights a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it's something I have to like be conscious of and work on. And like, because I do still naturally just, it's like, oh, I'll have a glass of wine with dinner or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's like two or three nights a week. I Mm -hmm. like explicitly don't have anything. And it's just like nice to be like, remind yourself even that like, that you don't need this thing all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah like sure. because it is just like a crotch or like the way that people have been like aggressively marketed to as, you know, this is how we unwind at the end of the day. And we it is like a lovely way to, can, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was really, I, that was, I think, one of the hardest things for me about cutting back because what happened, you know, I always do dry January and, and, and cut it and out. And then it became dry February, dry yeah, March, et cetera. Exactly. But it was really hard in dry January because especially in 2020, cracking open a beer was one of the ways that I marked the distinction between the workday and the evening. And so yeah. that was like a really just nice way to wind down. It felt like such a nice treat. And I still do it sometimes. I just, you know, like It I doesn't said, have to be the signal. Something I want to get better at is... I feel like the, the like just the like language of like let's go out for a drink or like oh, whatever 100%. is so like ingrained in our socializing. Um, and I would like to normalize saying something like let's go out for a snack. I love um, that because it, because all I mean when I ever I say let's go out for a drink is let's not have a whole meal, okay? Like let's Absolutely. not make it a whole thing. But yes, I'm happy to have just I'm thrilled to go out for olives. You yes. Know? <laughs> Absolutely. I have to say, so in New York during the pan for like a portion of the pandemic when bars were allowed to reopen, they had to sell food with any drink. Yes. And so a lot it of was bars a truly strange rule. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew Cuomo. Really important. Okay. Well, what anyway. happened is all these bars that didn't have kitchen were giving kitchens were giving you like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with your beer. Yeah. Or like goldfish. Goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so many weird things. I wish I could it was somebody needs to do a roundup of like the weird ass things that the bars were serving. And it was just announced the other day that that's no longer it's in effect. Done. And now yeah. you're and I yeah. was frankly disappointed because I fucking <laughs> loved the weird peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like trust that if a dive bar is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's white Wonder Bread. It's Jif. It's Smuckers. And it is fucking oh, delicious. For sure. It's 100%. Um, my favorite example of this, Claire, was that um, Thomas and I in December went to uh, Kettle of Fish, our favorite mm -hmm. bar in the village. They do like an annual caroling party and they did it outside. And so it was like under tents. It was fucking cold. Mm -hmm. And you're drinking like, you know, a beer or whatever. And they put containers of Hershey Kisses on the table and they were like, done. Amazing. <laughs> and I would have been thrilled. Totally. Who didn't who doesn't want a festive Hershey kiss with yes. their like carols? Yeah. Totally. I love it so much. There were yeah. like granola bars being given out. There the bars got creative. It was wonderful. They really did. They really did. Anyway, I liked talking about all of this. Me too. You know, if you want to eat less meat, eat less meat. If you want to drink less, drink less. Don't do anything you don't want to do. Yeah. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so, so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us to make this podcast happen, especially our outstanding producer, Brian Peoples. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com. If you love our show, consider supporting it by signing up for Secret Menu at, you guessed it, a thing or two HQ.com.